All right, how's everybody doing tonight? Hopefully you're more awake than I am. So I promise I told Mackenzie earlier today I try to keep her awake, and that's mostly because I'll try to keep myself awake. Um, had the privilege of going up Friday and watching the Bulldogs Friday and Saturday, so it was a good weekend. Um, got to spend a long, that sounds really bad when I say that, a long car ride home with Trenton today. It wasn't meant to be offensive to you at all. So, uh, okay, don't lie. We were both about to fall asleep. Um, it, it, was, it was interesting. It gave us a lot of time to talk. We got a lot of time to talk specifically about what I'm going to talk about tonight. Um, I'm going to apologize for anybody that's not going to be able to see me, but I'm going to have to preach. I'm going to take a page out of Dwayne's book. I have to preach most of this from down here because I don't want to preach it at you. It's something that I need to work on probably more so than anybody else in this room. So I apologize if I'm going to be walking back and forth down here and it's going to be distracting in any way. But I have a problem standing up above everybody else when I, when I give this message. Um, I don't know if anybody knows, but I'm in graduate classes at SIU, C um, and mechanical engineering. Um, if anybody asks me why, it's because they're free. So it's not because I want to do it. So it's, it's, it's fun. I'm a math nerd. Um, one, of the, one of the aspects that we've been working with here lately is when we superheat metal and the fact that we can, uh, it's called annealing. Uh, you can take a metal and you can superheat it and it, t- it changes the structure of the metal. Um, it can do a, an enormous amount of things to the metal simply by heating it almost to the point where it would shatter because of the heat. It gets to a point where its chemical makeup changes. Now, for the youth that are asking me why I'm giving them a chemistry lesson in church, what I want to talk to you guys today about is the fact that When that happens, it creates what they call dislocations, but in just in layman's terms, it's cracks, it's breaks, it's it's pieces that aren't that don't look like they should be there. But the fact of the matter is, is each one of those dislocations, each one of those breaks or those holes or those imperfections make the metal stronger or they make it so that it can be bent. It uses and changes that metal so that you can use it in whatever way you need to be using it for that particular tool. So what I want to talk to you guys today is about how God can do that with you. Um, I'm going to base this off a message some of, like, I don't know, some of you may have read, some of you may not have. It's something I wrote a couple weeks ago. Um, I had, I would say, probably four or five, maybe even six weeks ago, I was going through some struggles. Um, it wasn't a crisis of faith. It was not a... a you know, am I doing the right thing? It was just simply dealing with a lot of what I felt God was trying to do with me and trying to figure out what he was talking to me about. Um, I live in an apartment over there in Carbondale that I'm not too sure was not built before the university was built. Um, it's not the nicest apartment um, by far. Uh, we've got eight apartments in the building. Six of those apartments are filled. Within each one of those apartments, I am almost positive is a different race or a different ethnicity or a different background within each one of those apartments. I tell you that because until a week or two weeks ago, I didn't know that. I knew my neighbor across the hall. I knew my neighbor downstairs by simply just looking at them or or noticing when they went into the apartment. I work at SIU. I work on a campus with roughly 20,000 students. Obviously, I don't know all their names. I don't know very many of them. I walk by a lot of them as I go to lunch as I take papers from one building to another. I pass them by like they're just any other person. I work in a building full of people, and I don't necessarily know all their names. But the fact of the matter is, is God knows each one of those people in my apartment building. 
And he knows each one of those 20,000 people that's on that campus. And he knows each one of those people that's in my office building. And if they're anything like me, and if they're anything like you, we know they've gone through struggles. They've gone through aspects in their life that we may not completely or, or understand at all. We may not even understand a little bit. The, the common thing I know you hear a lot when you're going through a hard time or you're going through a rough time is somebody coming up and patting you on the back and saying, I understand. I've been there. And a lot of us may look at that person and say, but you don't understand because you haven't been in my shoes. You may have gone through the same situation, but you do not understand what I'm feeling. But God does. I want to talk to you about the verse that I wrote in here. Um, It's Acts 9. I'm sorry, I'm on the wrong one. Psalms 51, verse 17. The sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. God, you will not despise a broken and humbled heart. The reason I wrote this message a couple weeks ago was because I found myself when I went to campus walking by each one of those 20,000 students. And I remember as I walked by, I can tell you exactly what I thought. Nothing. I didn't wonder if they were in church. I didn't wonder if they had a relationship with Christ. I didn't wonder what they were going through. Most of the time, I didn't even know they exist. I could have had blinders on walking from my office to my class. That upset me. I can tell you that I lived in this apartment building, or I live in this apartment building that has these apartments filled, and I knew nothing about any of them. I can tell you that the people downstairs don't speak English. They speak Spanish. I can tell you that the people across the hall has a little daughter, but I've never been over there to ask if they need help. That hurts. And on the way home from church one Sunday as I was driving in the car, and I can't even tell you what the name of the song was, um, normally on the way home on a Sunday night to give you kind of an idea, that's what, I'll pick a CD at random. Normally I don't even turn the lights on in the car. I just pick the first CD I can get and throw it in there and let it go. Um, there, was a, there was a verse in that song that talked about being broken. And I didn't hear any audible voice. It's not like some, you know, the, the windows shook and shattered as some thunderous voice came from above. But that, that Holy Spirit aspect that's in each one of us that gives you that thought process that says, are you broken? And it took me a little while to catch on. If you ask my mother or my brother, I'm not real good with subtleties. I'm not broken. I'm not hurt. I'm not sick. I'm not on any medication. I'm fine. I go down the road a little bit farther and, and I heard it again. Are you broken? And I just don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what you're trying to tell me. And it happened again and it finally clicked. And the fact of the matter is, I was now. Because all these things I just got done telling you about, these people that were living in the apartment, the people that are, that are on the campus, the students that are walking on campus, the people in my office that I'm working for, why aren't I caring about them? Why aren't I asking those questions? Because if my goal on this earth is to resemble Christ to other people first and foremost. And people can disagree with me, but before you can disciple, before you can love, before you can do any of that, you better resemble Christ in some way because that's what's going to happen. You can't disciple them if you don't know Him. You can't love them if you don't know love, which is God. So my question again to you and to myself is, why aren't we feeling that way? Why aren't we heartbroken every time we walk onto a campus and we see the lostness? 
Why can we walk on a campus and walk by a display that talks about people should have the choice whether or not to kill an onboard baby, and our biggest response is we get upset because they allow them to put that on campus? We don't, we don't stop and think, or at least I don't, about what the true consequence of that is. Because it's not about the fact whether or not somebody gets to put that on campus and advertise that or not. It's really not. It's about the fact that somebody truly believes that that's the case. They believe enough in their heart to stand up for the fact that they believe they should have a right to choose whether or not an unborn baby gets to have life or not. And this isn't to harp on that particular subject. There's thousands of subjects out there like that. It's, it's cursing. It's, it's the drinking. It's the abuse. It's the you know, taking God's name in vain. There's just all of these different things that are out there. Why aren't we heartbroken for that? Why aren't we striving in a way to be broken? One of the other verses I used when I wrote this a couple weeks ago was 2 Corinthians 1, 9 through 10. It says, indeed, we personally had a death sentence within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a terrible death and he will deliver us. We have put our hope in him that he will deliver us again. This is Paul speaking about the despair they went through when they were in Asia, when they were there. He speaks of this, this despair that was great enough to bring them to the point of death. But there was a reason for it. It was so that they wouldn't rely on anybody but God. Pushed to the point of death when nobody can save you but the man the God that created you. The fact that we are dead to ourselves so that we can rely on God. I'm going to go back to Haiti for a little bit. Because Steve can account for this on the first day when we were there. And I struggled with it. I struggled with it physically. And I struggled with it spiritually. I struggled with it mentally. And it was through that struggle that I was broke down enough to rely on him. You know, this wasn't Nicaragua where I went with a youth group and I had a bunch of youth I got to sit there and talk to and, and, and rely on. I didn't have the crutches there that I normally did. And as much as I'd like to be mad at the man back there for, for telling me to, let's just sum it up, just to suck it up, right? <laughs> you know, in, in a way, knowing that or hearing that forced me to rely on God. Because the fact of the matter is, I don't know about you, but I want to be broken. I want to be so broken that I feel exactly like Paul did. I want to be on the cusp of feeling so broken that I feel like I could die. And that's not because I want to die. That's not because I don't want to be here anymore. It's simply because it is only when we reach that amount of brokenness that I think that we can even slightly get a glimpse of what Christ must have felt like when he walked on this earth with us. Because you see, God sent his son and broke his son for us. So the least we can do is be broken for everybody else. It's not easy. It's not fun to talk about. I know I send these Bible verses out every uh, Monday through Saturday. I don't send one on a Sunday because we're at church. 
Um, maybe that's not a good reason, but send these out. And I remember sending one out about a year ago. And I got a response back from somebody. And the response was, well, that's not very uplifting. Well, the fact of the matter is, is not everything in that Bible is there to, to lift you up and make you happy. It's not there to make us feel good. It's, it's, it's not just a book that you wake up in the morning and you flip through and you find the verse that's going to make you the happiest when you walk out the door. It's the living word of God and it's there to direct and give you, give you a guide to life. It's there in the commands of God to show you what he wants you to do and how he wants you to treat other people. It's there to show us how to glorify him. And that's not always easy. If it was easy, everybody would do it. If it was always fun, then our churches would be filled to the rafters because people would rather go there than have this, you know, slight temporary pleasure of going to, you know, something else that seemed like more fun at the time. Wouldn't have to advertise, wouldn't have to anything, because all we'd have to do is say, hey man, if you, you read this book and all the verses in there, I promise your life will be full of from gold, roses, and all kinds of really fun times, so come join us. I remember being told that the easiest part of becoming a Christian is walking up and just saying, I trust God, because it just gets harder from there. I want to get to a point that when I walk in my apartment complex at night, that the first thing I can think of is how can I help those people that are in my apartment? What are they going through? Not what am I going through, not about how bad was my day, what am I struggling with? But what can I do with God's help to help that person come closer to Christ? And the thing you have to realize is even if you get to that point and you think that, and you go down there and you ask them, ask them what you can pray for them about. Ask them how you can help them. They may tell you no. They may slam the door in your face. You may not get credit for it. But I'm sure if you asked Brent or Dave or Dwayne, if they've got credit for every good deed they've done or everything God's ever asked them to go do, that I would be willing to bet there's a lot smaller percentage of the time where that actually happens. You see, I want to be Christ to those people. I want to be that person and these missionaries that we just talked about that, that go out to these, these towns because they feel God's calling them out there to plant a church because in a way they felt broken enough to go out there and set the church up, to help other broken people. The, the one person that I kept, kept coming back to me over and over and over when I was, uh, when I was talking to Trenton on the way down here today, um, we were trying to come up with names and I'm glad I checked with him because I would have completely misled you with what the Bible said had I not. Um, Kept coming back to Paul. And I want to read here in Acts 9. It said, The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the sound but seeing no one. Then Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So he took him by the hand and led him into Damascus. He was unable to see for three days and did not eat or drink. This is a man that had done horrible, horrible things. That had killed Christians, that had persecuted them. And then came face to face with his maker on the walk to Damascus. And God broke him. Took away his sight. And he called him out on what he'd done. I want to be that broken. I don't know about you, but I want to be that broken. I want to be called out 
on all the bad stuff I've done. I want to be called out on all the times I have misrepresented my Savior to somebody else. I want to be called out on all those times that I've stood there and been a hypocrite. Or I've stood there and I haven't done what Christ commands us to do. Because it's only by calling me out, and it's only by Christ calling you guys out on those things, that we're ever, ever going to get to a point where we realize how badly they hurt. Not just us, but how they hurt Him. We've got to get past that point of self-preservation. Because it's not about how long we can keep ourselves here. I'm going to go a step further and say it's not even about how long we can, can keep somebody else here. It's about how much we can glorify God and how much we can point people towards Him. It's about feeling hurt enough that when you're in Haiti and you're sitting in the orphanage and all those kids are back there in the back running around, that it hurts. That you're broken on the fact that they're there. That you're broken on the fact that they don't have a mother or a father anymore. At least not that they know. It's about getting to that point when you're sitting there and you're watching them bounce on your knees and they stink. They're in clothes that don't fit. But the smile on their face tells you that they don't care. And you're broken because they're there and all you want to do is be able to find a way to have God help them. It's about being in Nicaragua and walking through Los Brasiles and seeing the conditions that some people live in, or, or wrapping a house and knowing that you've got ten houses to wrap in a week and you've only wrapped three, and the first night you go home, a huge thunderstorm hits, and you know that those ever seven houses are now flooded on the inside, and they're sleeping on a mattress that's soaked in water. It's about breaking down when you hear it. It's about going to Africa and being there with the kids that have come here and sang with us and for us, that can prove to us how little we really have and how thankful we should be for what we do have. It's about being Christ to those people. But it's about more. It's about walking into church on Sunday morning and treating those people there with the same thought process. It's about going to work on Monday morning and teaching and treating them with the same awe, respect, and brokenness. Now, this isn't about, this is kind of a really downer message, and it's raining outside, and, you know, I don't want you to get down, because here, here's, the, here's, the, here's the thought, here's the catch. This isn't about being depressed. This isn't about walking around all the time and crying and being upset. Because there's a difference between being sad at least in my opinion, and being broken by God. Because if you're broken by God, you should be happy. You should be joyful that our loving Savior cared enough for us to point out our flaws rather than give us the condemnation that we deserve for it. I remember my grandfather telling me that he was in the Marines and the first thing they told him was, the only thing that we're going to be able to do for you is completely break you down. And the reason we do that is because we can build you up the way we need you built up. 
We're going to take away all of your pre- preconceived notions. We're going to take away all of your thoughts. We're going to take away all of your, your dreams, your, your thought process that you've been raised with, and we're going to shatter them. Because the only thing we can do when we do that is to build you back up with what we need you to do. And that's what God's doing for each and every one of us. He's taking you through your trials. He's taking you through the highlights of your life. And you're that clay that he's continuing to mold and form and design into that perfect creation that you will one day be when you're in his presence. And it's constant. So many of us in today's world run out there with the hope, with with the thought that if we just get a little bit more money, or if we just get a different car or a new house, or if we can just get just a little bit farther up in our job, then and then we'll, we'll reach that happiness. I can tell you I've thought that thought process. I'm 30 years old, and I've probably thought that process since the day I walked out of high school, that all I had to do was just keep working because if I worked at school, if I worked in the real world, I I saved money, and I got this big six-figure job, I'd be happy. And I can tell you right now that if God took it all away right now, I'd still be more blessed than I deserve. I don't live in a nice, really nice house. I don't drive a nice car. I don't have a bunch of nice things. But I've got God. That's all I need. He's taken me through trials. He's taken me through triumphs. He's taught me things along the way. And the only thing that happens is he continually gets to a point where he breaks off a piece of the world that's stuck to me. I don't know how many of you have seen the pictures of what it looks like when they dry dock a ship. And it's got all the the muscles and the the tar and all that nasty sea stuff that's all around the hull. I kind of picture what we are like that. You know, in that journey through life as we go through the sea, we're going to pick those sort of things up. We're going to mess up. We're going to, get, we're going to sin. We're going to have scars. We're going to be cut. We're going to be bruised. We're going to be bloody. We're going to have these things stick to us. And so let's be honest. No matter how much we try to forget in our mind the sins we've done or, or the people we've hurt, The one thing we can't seem to get rid of, at least intentionally, is memories. They're there. But God can take care of that. Just like when they're taking that ship into dry dock and they're repairing it and they're getting it ready to go back out to sea, he's taking you there and he's chiseling all that stuff off one at a time. Sometimes sometimes it's easy. It just flakes off. He just comes up and brushes it off. And other times it's that moment in life when he takes the sledgehammer to hit it. And it hurts. And there's pain and there's suffering. There's moments in our life like when we lose somebody. When we lose a job. When we don't get that promotion. Or how about if we take it out of the physical, secular world and we get to when we've raised a child that walks away from God. When we've lost a loved one that we're just not sure about. We've been there. God's in control. So what I want you guys to take from this tonight, what I hope I can take from this tonight, what he's taught me over these last, you know, about, I think it was February 4th when I wrote this, so we're a little over a month past uh, when I initially wrote this, but what I've seen over the past four weeks is this. As I don't wake up each morning and go to work anymore and have that concept of, When is the phone call going to come that's going to get me out of this place? What excuse can I come up with so that I don't have to go to work today? 
Instead, the mindset has been every morning when I wake up, and it's not my mindset. I promise you that it's the Spirit that's making this, that's helping me make this choice. What can I do today that will show that person at work that I'm a Christ follower? If I died today and they carried me out of my apartment, would anybody in that apartment complex know that I was a Christ follower? Went home this weekend. And took two youth with me. I didn't go home. We went to Peoria. Went through my hometown. I took Trenton. I took Melinda Douglas with me. And they don't know this. But the fact is, is that we stopped at Cracker Barrel and we had dinner. And we're sitting there. And I watch Trenton pray. And I watch my parents fold their hands and sit through a prayer and say amen before they ate a meal. And other than Thanksgiving or Christmas, it's the first time I've ever seen that happen. That's being Christ to other people. People you just met. It's getting up to Peoria and getting phone calls from my parents and asking me things like, you know, wow, you know, well, how'd they do that? Or that was nice. Or, or seeing these sort of things. And I think what upsets me is this. How is it possible that I have lived with my parents or I've had my parents for 30 years and I've made numerous trips home over those, that time period? Why does it take somebody else to do that? So I ask that question to you. What, what parts in your life are you not quite broken in? What parts of your life can you go home and make a difference in somebody else's life? Who can you touch at work for God, for Christ? I want you to leave here and I want you to go home tonight I want you to pray. I want you to ask yourself, I want you to ask God to show you tomorrow. Not this week. Not next week. I want you to ask God to give you an opportunity tomorrow or tonight if you're going somewhere after you get home to be Christ to somebody. I want you, like the song says, I want you to have God's eyes. I want you to see the people the way he sees them. Because you know what? They're not annoying. They're not arrogant. They're not a pain in the rear. They're his children. And they're going through struggles just like we do. And they're dealing with issues just like we are. And if we can see that, if we can be broken by Christ and we can see people through his eyes, just maybe he'll give us that opportunity to start changing the world one person at a time. So if you bow your heads, we'll pray and then we'll head out of here tonight. Father God, I want to thank you for who you are. Father, I want to thank you for, for giving us this opportunity to be here and worship and fellowship. And Father, I pray, from the bottom of my heart, Father, I pray that when we walk out of here, that we don't walk out of here with the thought process 
that it's okay with the status quo. I pray that we walk out of here, Father, on fire to change. Not just ourselves, Father, but the world around us. Father, it no longer has to be that that's just the way things are. Father, let us get to a point where we change the way things are. Father, I thank you for breaking your son for me and for everybody here. We thank you, Father, for the love that you have, for the discipline you give us through the breaking. Father, may we take a step back and rather than see the clump of clay that we are that doesn't seem to have a form or shape close up, but Father, may we take steps back and see the masterpiece that you are sculpting. Father, may you give us opportunities tonight, tomorrow, and every day, Father, to be you and shine your Son's light in this dark world. Father, I ask this in your Son's precious name. Amen.